a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Mara Carabello here today with Taylor Morgan. Hello. We are filling in for Boyd Matheson today. Um, Boy, this is the time of year, always, that the Supreme Court uh, rolls out most of their decisions. Yes. And we, um, I think as a nation right now, are paying much more attention to the Supreme Court, which I think is really important. And yesterday they came out with a decision that has often been um, hotly protected and debated in Utah and its religious uh, liberties and freedoms. And this was a case about school funding. It was specifically about a program in Maine that uncon- the question was whether they unconstitutionally excluded religious schools from this funding. And so we want to break it down a little bit, talk about what it means for us here in Utah and what cases might come before the courts following this decision. So, I mean, Taylor, we all know the big decision happens from the Supreme Court, but that wave, that mm-hmm. ripple effect to many different other standing cases is is what we're interested in. Right. And like you said, this is a, a hot topic here in Utah, right? Utah has, uh, in Brigham Young University, we have a very prominent, uh, you know, well-known, highly regarded uh, it, private religious institution, university, right? And so this directly affects Utah and, uh, you know, a lot of students here in Utah in a big way. Uh, Nicole Stell Garnett is a law professor at Notre Dame, and uh, she filed uh, an amicus brief in the case. Uh, She actually sat down uh, with Inside Sources earlier today to talk about this case and, and what it means. Uh, She says the case is not about separation of church and state, but about government being neutral when it administers programs. Here's what she said. I do think it's important that the court reiterated the principle, both because it's such an important principle and because um, school choice is ascendant in the U.S. So 31 states now have some kind of private school choice program. So it's an important um, reminder that when the government makes public resources available to kids to attend private schools that needs to give them the option of attending religious schools. Sort of the long-term implications, I think, are that it it kind of clears the path for more of an expansion of private school choice in the United States, more educational options for parents, because sometimes states say, well, we have to exclude religious schools because our state constitution requires us to. After Carson and, and a previous decision called Espinosa versus Montana, it's clear that they can't do that. So as um, the professor stated very clearly today, the courts ruled in favor of um, being able to fund religious schools with taxpayer dollars. And so, I mean, I think that's a really important clarification. What we've talked about before is obviously, but importantly, the decisions of the court are some of the hardest, right? They're some of the most challenging. To give a counterpoint, um, the minority point of view was written by Sotomayor. Justice Sotomayor and her context that would her her sort of point of view on this is as a result in just a few years, the court has upended 
constitutional doctrine shifting from a rule that permits states to decline to fund religious organizations to one that requires states in many circumstances to subsidize religious indoctrination with taxpayer dollars. So that was the minority. That was she did not Mm -hmm. win the day today. But that would be the point counterpoint. It's really challenging to say. And so this has released taxpayer dollars to fund religious institutions. Right. And this is an ongoing question. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation recently in Utah about funding, uh, you know, student loan funding, uh, for example, going to religious institutions. Right. There's there's a lot of layers to this, uh, right? Professor uh, Garnett, a law professor at Notre Dame, uh, also said that even though this case was ruling on a school program in Maine, uh, in more it was more narrow in scope than some of the opponents say or believe. Uh, the, there are a lot of these questions that it will raise when it comes to how government treats other programs at uh, private religious schools. Here's what she said about that. I suspect there are hundreds of programs that provide public benefits to religious organizations on the condition that they provide secular services. So you may be a homeless shelter if your services are secular. You may provide job training if your services are secular. You may participate in the Head Start program, but your preschool must be secular. So all of those restrictions, this case does not resolve those questions, but they are all constitutionally suspect now. So I think we will see a lot of litigation against requirements that in order to participate in a public benefit program, religious organizations must secularize so they can remain religious as long as the things they're doing are not religious, which is if you're a religious person, kind of a strange way to think about things. <laughs> that's that's well said. And again, these are challenging topics because you tip it too far. Um, you do have taxpayers. Now, here's where I think it's going to get hit home for Utah and where we might bring up several questions is the issue of charter schools here. Yeah. Um, yeah. We opened up uh, charter schools a couple of decades ago. Um, I think they've been around long enough to sort of judge their impacts. Did they do what they intended to do or not? But many of them chose a more religious, some of them, chose a religious point of view to bring into the classroom. Right. Yeah, there are uh, quite a number of religious-focused charter schools in Utah, right, that have uh, a very, uh, you know, a lot of uh, religious faith-based components to their curriculum. Right. And, you know, it also came up last cycle. Um, the voucher debate is back, I yes. should say. I mean, with there lots of there, we have a new name for it, but the voucher debate came back. And one of the questions was, would that mean that could you take? Now, I am a parent who has a child in a religious school. And I was on the side of like, interestingly enough, I'd love a tuition break. Yeah. But I felt like taxpayer money in this. And now I'm not I'm not trying to equate this with the main case that was being considered at the Supreme Court. But I was a, a member of the team that said, you know, I'd love, love, love to pay less tuition. But I'm the one that decided or, you know, the family decided to send our daughter to a parochial school. And I, I you know, I, I was a member of the team that said they should stay separate. Yeah. Well, uh, this Supreme Court ruling could have implications, right, for these charter schools. Um, And and here is what uh, Professor uh, Nicole uh, Stell Garnett said uh, about that. The other big question on the table is about charter schools. So charter schools um, are designated as public schools in state laws, but they're privately operated. The Supreme Court makes clear that the government need not fund religious instruction and education unless it funds private secular education. The big question with charter schools, which I do think will get litigated, 
in years to come is whether charter schools are more like private schools or more like public traditional public schools. And that question is wide open. Yeah. That's Nicole Stelgarnett, a law professor at uh, the Notre Dame University of Notre Dame Law School, uh, speaking to inside sources earlier today about this Supreme Court ruling on funding for religious institutions. And there she was talking about charter schools, which we have a lot of here in in Utah. And Mara, you mentioned that you uh, have a child uh, attending a private religious school and you would turn down uh, you know, taxpayer funding to help pay for that. I don't think you would qualify, to be honest, Maura. So <laughs> I appreciate your generosity, but uh, I don't think you'd get it. Theoretically, I mean, you know, it is an interesting theoretical question. So I think we will see in Utah because of our interest in um, religious equality and our interest in charter schools here, this will be a Supreme Court ruling. Sometimes I think we see the rulings and we think, I'm sure they're important, but I, I don't know who they apply to. Sure. This would be one today that is worth reading the articles. There's lots of articles. Uh, go read them because I do think you'll see this trickle down to some Utah issues. Yes. Speaking of funding, is Washington using inflation as an excuse to hike the defense budget? Stay tuned. We'll get into it coming up next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.